It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. This is Michael Cohen, and you're listening to the Mayor Culpa podcast. Donald Trump finally got his first taste of accountability as he entered Washington, D.C. Federal Magistrate Court yesterday to make his plea on charges that he plotted to overturn the 2020 election. All of this happened just blocks away from where his supporters stormed the Capitol to try and keep him in power just two and a half years earlier. The Washington Post reported that more than 110 people crammed into a second floor courtroom for Trump's hearing, including several federal judges who have presided over January 6 cases. Chief Judge James Bosberg of the United States District Court for the District of Columbia, as well as Judges Amy Berman Jackson and Randolph Moss were among the spectators in the back row of the courtroom galley. It was a solemn occasion, even for Donald Trump, who is capable of turning just about any forum into a fucking degenerate media circus. But inside the courtroom, it was said that you could hear a pin drop. Now Trump was seated at the very same table as hundreds of other past January 6th defendants, looking subdued and less like Orange Jesus or the Mango Mussolini than a man who knew that the game was over and understood the magnitude of what was finally upon him. You know what it is? The United States versus Donald J. Trump. Despite his respectful courtroom demeanor, Trump was in all caps mode just prior to the arraignment. And I quote, this is from him. I am now going to Washington, D.C. to be arrested for having challenged a corrupt, rigged, and stolen election, Trump put on his truth social. It is a great honor because I am being arrested for you. Trump was allowed to leave court without travel conditions and no cash bond was required. U.S. Magistrate Judge Maxilla A. Upadaya ordered, however, that he must not violate federal or state law while awaiting trial and that he must not communicate with anyone known to be a witness except through counsel or in the presence of counsel. Trump lawyer John Lauro is seeking a delay in the trial to give the defense time to sift through the mountain of evidence against the twice-impeached, thrice-indicted former disgraced president. But more likely, it's to give his client the opportunity to become president once again and quash any and all indictments. Special Prosecutor Jack Smith is seeking the opposite, a speedy trial. One of the reasons Trump and only Trump was indicted on election charges. The longer the indictment list, the longer the path to trial. 
we will have to wait until August 28th to find out when Trump's third trial will ultimately take place, but it's more than likely to be held sometime in early 2024 as the primary season takes place and against the backdrop of Trump's other trials in Florida, New York City, and Georgia. But the looming showdown in Washington, D.C. means that Trump's assertion that the 2020 election was stolen will be rerun ad nauseum. Unfortunately, it's unlikely that this trial will lessen the grip that Trump has on the GOP. I mean, here's some facts. Some 70% of Republicans polled continue to believe that the election was right with fraud and stolen from the former president. The upcoming trial gives Trump the opportunity to now double down on these assertions in the press and across social media. We will relitigate every single issue in the 2020 election in the context of this litigation, Trump attorney John Laurel said on Fox News. It gives President Trump an opportunity that he has never had before, which is to have subpoena power since January 6th in a way that can be exercised in federal court. In brief remarks to reporters before leaving Washington after the hearing, Trump called his prosecution a prosecution of a political opponent. He also claimed that on his drive through town that he had seen filth, decay, broken buildings and walls of graffiti that he claimed were not present when he was president. We can't let this happen in America, Trump said. Unfortunately for Trump, he will be alone in his public defense for the next few weeks as Washington empties out for its annual August recess. GOP allies and MAGA stalwarts are all departing for home and away from Trump, who despite his ongoing popularity with the base, cost the GOP dearly in the midterms and will continue to be an albatross around the neck of the party in general elections as independents run the other way from his fucking lunatic persona and all of the baggage that comes with him. In the end, it's just Trump and his lawyers. And for now, that's all that there will be. The unnamed but unmasked co-conspirators in this case will likely flip on the former president as they are squeezed for information and faced with prospect of long prison sentences. These men and women include Rudy Colludi, Drunken Giuliani, John Eastman, Jeffrey Clark, Sidney Release the Kraken Powell, and Kenneth Cheesebro. I mean, number six remains unknown still, though I believe that it's probably Boris Epstein. Now, arguably, the man with as much to lose as Trump is Rudy Colludi. And God only knows what he will do in the upcoming days and weeks to make matters worse for himself because he can't help it. He's just a fucking idiot. But Trump likely wants Rudy to stay as far away from him as possible. I mean, the man is walking herpes, dangerous, disgusting, and devastating to whomever he comes in contact with. As Jack Smith rolled out his indictments last week, Rudy found himself back in the limelight as well. And oh baby, is it bad? So for those who sought to give America's former mayor the benefit of the doubt in the Borat affair, where it looked like he was just moments away from putting the moves on what he thought was a teenage girl, well, those doubts have been obliterated. 
As you may remember, Rudy is being sued by Noel Dunphy, a former employee accusing him of sexual assault and harassment, of wage theft, and other misconduct. She is seeking $10 million in damages. Now, in earlier filings, Dunphy claimed all manner of malfeasance by Giuliani. But her story sounded almost too crazy to be true. But now she's come with the receipts, and the shit that has come out of Rudy's mouth will likely end whatever remaining career or dignity that he had. The transcripts of audio recordings were submitted to New York City's Supreme Court on Tuesday, and I must warn listeners that Rudy's comments are crass, they're misogynistic, they're fucking anti-Semitic, and painful to hear. But in the spirit of full disclosure and nothing but the truth, I think it's important that the world hear what this man had said. People need to know who he is and what he stands for, that this is Rudy Giuliani. So in one exchange with Dunphy, Giuliani said, according to the transcripts, I want to own you officially. In another, he said, I'm going to make it a little painful. The transcripts also detail Giuliani allegedly making repeated vile comments about the size of Dunphy's chest, followed by this exchange, and I quote, Come here, big tits. Come here, big tits. Your tits belong to me. Give them to me. I want to claim my tits. I want to claim my tits. I want to claim my tits. These are my tits. These breasts belong to me. Nobody else can get near these, okay? I don't care if they're flirting or they give you business cards. These are mine. You got it? Understand? I'm very fucking possessive. I've gone easy on you. Give them to me, Giuliani said in the March 12, 2019 exchange, according to the transcript that's labeled as Exhibit 14. Again, awful, disgusting, misogynistic, sexist, and vile. Well, you know who this is? This is Rudy fucking Kaludi, drunken Giuliani, plain and simple. And he also, again, he's fucking anti-Semitic, no fan of the Jews. And it seems to believe that we have undersized genitalia. And here's the quote. Jewish men have small cocks because they can't use them after they get married, Giuliani said according to the transcript. Whereas the Italian use them all their lives so they get bigger. He then rails against how Jewish people, and again I quote, want to go through that freaking Passover all the time, and how they should get over Passover, because it was 3,000 years ago. Okay? Red Sea parted, he says. Big deal. Not the first time that happened. I mean, unfortunately, Rudy fails to elaborate on other times in history when the Red Sea was parted. But he seems to think that Moses was some kind of birthday magician who could part and unpart waters whenever he raised his hands. Rudy's attorney, Ted Goodman, had the following to say after the transcripts were made public. It's disappointing to see some so-called journalists stoop so low with these smears and attacks against a man who has dedicated his life to serving others. Mayor Giuliani cleaned up New York City, took down the mafia, and comforted the nation following September 11th, he added. Now, come on, Ted. You don't get to play the 9-11 card all the time, do you? I mean, Rudy has dined out on his past deeds for two decades now. I mean, the man he used to be and the man he is now, well, they're two totally different fucking Rudys. 
Well, this stuff is shocking. It's par for the course with Rudy. Why? Because he is a fucking lying, misogynistic, creep, pervert, scumbag, motherfucker. That's just who he is, Trump supporting maggot. And Rudy is next on the Jack Smith indictment list. That's for sure. Because he will not go unpunished. His deeds are too blatant and too awful to go untouched. Now that said, Smith has his hands full with Donald Trump right now. So we need a speedy and a flawless trial without the distraction of fellow co-conspirators. Until that time, we'll have to be satisfied with what is given to us. So God bless Discovery and God bless the United States of America. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan. And we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily Daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And now for the main event. Today we welcome back to our show intrepid newsman Ali Velshi. Host of Ali Velshi and seemingly the favorite fill-in host for every other MSNBC primetime news show, Velshi also reported live from the front lines of the George Floyd protests where he was drenched during Hurricane Ian and dodged incoming fire from Russian artillery when he fearlessly reported live from the front lines in Ukraine. A concerned citizen of the world, Velshi seems to be everywhere that there is injustice. He has been a contributor at CNN, Al Jazeera America, and NBC, to name just a few. He joins us on Maya Culpa in the midst of Donald Trump's third indictment and arguably the most important as it goes to the heart of this nation's democratic system. So let's not wait and let's go now to that conversation. Okay, so Ali. 
Let's start with Donald Trump's now. It's hard. This is so crazy. We're going to start with Donald Trump's third indictment that came down yesterday, yep. right? So Trump has been charged now with four additional crimes. One count of conspiracy to violate rights. One count of conspiracy to defraud the government. One count uh, each of obstructing an official proceeding and conspiring to do so. So convictions on the first two would carry a sentence of up to five years in prison each. The obstruction charge carries up to 20 years. You believe that yep. Jack Smith has the goods to put Trump away on any of these charges or all of them? Well, within an hour of this indictment being uh, being released coming down, I, I read it and then I read it into a podcast. So I'm I'm very familiar with it at this point. And of the 45 pages in the indictment, 42 are count one, uh, literally. 42, this count one is as thorough as it gets. I mean, it is remarkable reading. Everybody should read it. I recorded it into a podcast. So those who don't want to read it when they're driving can do it. Counts two, three, and four are on uh, a separate uh, page each. They're, they're only literally three clauses. They're a paragraph. But this count four, which is the the issue on uh, the right to, you know, the 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 obstruction of rights or not the obstruction, but the the the, the taking away of the right to vote and have to have one vote counted. That's the one where. The other ones matter and, and are on are, are going to be very interesting to have a trial because J uh, Jack Smith does have the goods for it. But that one about taking away your rights is the one that should make every American shudder. Right. That's the one you and I talk about. This is the undermining of democracy. It's one lonely charge sitting at the end of the thing. And I think I have to say, I think that's where their heart is. That's where these guys need to say you need to have a conviction on this so that this does not happen again. So that people understand that if you tamper with people's right to vote and to have their vote counted, you will pay the price. But as far as the other ones go. Yes, I do believe as a non-lawyer and a non-trained legal mind, the way this is laid out, it is so hyper-specific. There are these six unindicted co-conspirators. I believe we know who five of them are. Now we'll probably know who the sixth is fairly soon. The sixth is one of a few different people, but we likely know who it is. Um, I, I believe there are probably charges coming against them because this is so hyper-specific. And the thing that this, this indictment lays waste to, uh, Michael, is the idea that they didn't know. The idea that they thought they had won. There's an interesting part in here where he talks about the fact that a memorandum that was written at one point was about protecting the rights of Donald Trump in the event that there were recounts or that he was determined by some court somewhere to have won a particular state. That morphed very quickly into an illegal scheme to get people um, to get these fake slates of electors put in. It long ago stopped being about the maybe we won, so we need to protect ourselves. And it very quickly became a scheme to deceive the American people, to deceive Congress, to deceive the legislators and the voters of this country to steal an election. The whole stop the steal BS. The only thing you needed to stop the steal of was Donald Trump and his cronies trying to steal the election. Yeah. So, you know, I was reading something in the Associated Press and in it, they turn around and they say in between the election and the riot, Trump urged local election officials to undo voting results in their states. I mean, he went yep. ahead. He additionally pressured Pence to halt the certification of electoral votes and falsely claimed that the election had been stolen, which, by the way, as one of the other counts, 
He went ahead, he fundraised off of it, took millions of yep. dollars, you know, off it. A notion repeatedly rejected by the judges. I mean, I think there was, what, 60 cases filed by Giuliani yep. and others in Sydney, the Kraken Depending Power. on how you count, it was up to 80 because there were a whole bunch of little cases that were filed by people who were allies of them, but not the, uh, the actual unindicted co-conspirators. There was not a single one where someone said, hey, maybe you're onto something. Maybe there's a case here. Here's the important language, which I had never used before. You may have heard because you were trained as a lawyer. Um, it's, it's on the first page. It's in the introduction. It's in the second paragraph in which it says, the defendant spread lies that there had been outcome determinative fraud in the election and that he had actually won. Outcome determinative fraud. That's the wisdom of this thing, right? Because if anybody says, well, there's always fraud in elections, there's always dead people who vote or people who are out of state. Yes, it does happen. It happens very, very little. We have a very safe election system. It does happen. None of it was outcome determinative. None of the races that Donald Trump challenged were close enough that three people here, when he talked to the, the Secretary of State in Georgia and he wanted 11,780 votes and he said 10,000 dead people voted in Georgia. Right. On that perfect phone call, Brad Rappensberger says back to him, we looked into this. There were two. We think there were two people who are dead who may have cast ballots. This is the kind of thing that happened all across the country. Two people is not outcome determinative. That's something that the Secretary of State has to look at and say we should have zero dead people voting. But it's not outcome determinative. In no case was there an instance in which Donald Trump's attempt to overturn the results would have resulted in him winning the election. Right. But those lies about the 10,000 dead pales in comparison to the additional lies where they claimed tens of thousands of double votes in Nevada. Yep. Which, again, yep. Was, yep. was rebutted by the courts, both state and federal. Every count, uh, when he talks, you know, he divides us up by the various states and the, the, the activities they took in the, in the seven states. At the end of every one of those, those uh, sections, it says, and I'm just using the one uh, from Georgia, it says, on January 6th, the defendant publicly repeated the knowingly false insinuation that more than 10,300 dead people had voted in Georgia. So Jack Smith punctuates every state section with the fact that this is what he said, this is what actually happened, this is how he knew it was knowingly false, and then he repeats. On January 6th, Donald Trump stood there at the ellipse and tweeted things out that he knew to be false to to uh, to, to initiate and, and, and support the riot that was going on. So it's a very clear indictment, I have to say. Yeah, I mean, very, very clear. However, you know, there are other issues that are, you know, that are here and that there are, you know, obviously quite pressing. You know, one of the things that I constantly hear um, from different pundits is that this isn't going to change anything. I mean, and I hate to say it, but they're not wrong. Those people that are in Trump's camp they don't care about any of this. They don't care about something that I have said on your show, that I've said on other people's show, on this podcast, that Trump liked to recite something that he had heard Putin once say, that it doesn't matter who you vote for. All that matters is who's counting the vote. And this, to yeah. me, count one, is proof positive that that statement that I keep talking about, that I keep re yep. referencing back to Donald, is actually what goes through this guy's mind when he was 
working with the Rudy Giuliani's, the Sidney Powell's, and so many others in terms of figuring out how to reverse the will of the people so that he could remain in power. But that shouldn't be what goes through the mind of any thinking American, Republican or Democrat, right? You must know that if that's how he thinks, and you're right, because that count one indicates that that's exactly how he thinks, that can't be how any Republican thinks. You can hate Joe Biden. You can think Joe Biden's too old. You can think a lot of things. But you cannot think that our democracy depends on who counts the votes. And that's why you're right, Michael. I agree with you. I don't not only do I not think this will change minds, I actually suspect Donald Trump, as always, will come out with a little more support as a result of it. But if someone reads this, I spent three hours reading this into a mic last night so that it could be released as a podcast in the hopes that more people will listen to it. But I'm not sure any Trump supporter is going to listen to it. But if they did, if any of these members of Congress actually read this stuff, Maybe they wouldn't say that this is about the Biden crime family and Hunter Biden cutting sweet deals and the weaponization of government and all the BS that's been spewed since this thing dropped. Just read the thing and then say, I'm going to follow the case and see where the evidence leads me, because this and this is not a case. This is not the evidence. This is not uh, a jury of your peers. So we can't take everything that's written here as as gospel. But if you follow this and then you listen to the case and your mind has not been affected by it then you should probably give back your citizenship. Then you're not actually a, 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 a part of what this mission is in America, this experiment of democracy, because this outlines the degree to which Donald Trump and his Confederates tried to actually undo democracy in the United States. And if reading this doesn't make you shudder, then honestly, Michael, you're broke. Yeah, totally agree. And then, you know, again, the document here carefully outlined arguments that Trump was making to defend to defend his actions, to defend the conduct, right? When he says that he has, and by the way, he does. He had every right to challenge the results. We've seen that, right, in, in Gore, in yeah. Gore v. Bush. He had every right to challenge the results. That's, he had every- paragraph three. Exactly. That's on page two of this. That's thing. right, he had- Jack Smith starts by saying that. You have the right to do that. Absolutely. You use the courts, you use the recount system, you use audits, you use all sorts of things, but he did use all those things and they all came back and said, dude, you lost the election. Right. Get over it, move on. But it, it goes on to say that he had the right to use the courts. Absolutely. He even had the right to lie about it in the process. So in his mind, he knew that he yes. lost, clearly. I mean, there's enough testimony from individuals that say, yeah, Donald Trump told me that he knew that he couldn't believe that he lost to Joe fucking Biden, right? I, yep. I mean, it's yep. great. But the indictment outlines how Trump instead, it's not about the lies, it's not about using of the court, and it's not about his challenge to the result that caused this indictment. And this is where Trump is really stupid. And worse than him being stupid, the people that are around him are even more fucking stupid than he is. They actually went out and they took criminal steps to reverse the clear verdict that the voters had decided that Joe Biden had won the election. It is the action of the criminal steps that were taken yes. that is the yes. basis for this indictment, not the fact that he questioned it. You see, 
You know, when you right. start listening to some of these other, you know, folks that are out there, whether it's on YouTube or TikTok or anywhere, and they go and they start questioning some of the Trump supporters. And the Trump supporter comes out and says, Donald Trump had every single right within which to question the outcome because he truly believes, no, he, he truly believes yep. in his heart that he won the election. Give it a give it a give it a goo, right? And all of a sudden, you know, that's not what the indictment is about. Because again, right. Ali, what you did by reading the indictment into a podcast, it would be beautiful. It would be wonderful if some of these people would actually listen to it. But why listen to something that is going to negate the position that you take? And that's the saddest yeah. part when it comes to all of these maggots, these Trump supporters, that regardless of what he does, they're on Team Trump. That's right. That's exactly right. And I don't know how you win that battle, Michael, because if you read this stuff, you will at least, I think, open your mind to the idea that well, it's 45 pages of stuff. Can't all be BS unless you actually think that's true, right? Unless you think that the government's been weaponized, the Department of Justice web. I mean, Donald Trump's carrying on with his posts as this was coming down before it was coming down. I I, I don't know why he does that. Fundraising. It, I guess when you realize, well, a fundraising, that's very true. And I'm hoping some people realize when these numbers that have come out in the last few days about how much money um, this pack that supports him is using for his legal defense, that this is a racket. But put that aside for a second. At some point, you know, you repeat lies enough and people just believe them, except that you have actual documentation. So if we're so far gone that uh, 30% of the American population believes that this is a structural lie, that this is the government going against Donald Trump, and I get that. But if you go through the pages and it tells you on this date, this text got sent and this conversation got had and the vice president of the United States was sending contemporaneous notes and these uh, electors thought that they were only going to be used if a court case determined in Wisconsin that, um, you know, Donald Trump actually won the election. I mean, did they make all of it up? With all the texts and with all those people, there's something here. You may not believe that it's all of the case or that there's, you know, we've not heard from the defendant yet and the defendant's lawyers. And I fully think that we need to do all of that. But there's so much here. Why do people close their minds to the idea that maybe there was corrupt intent? Maybe Donald Trump did something that was actually damaging to American politics. And that's that's the part that I hope someone gets. If everybody who reads this or listens to it gets one other person to read it or listen to it, there might be some hope. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So let me ask you, since you did read the indictment from start to finish, all 45 pages, what if anything, is there anything in those 45 pages that stood out most to you that you found either most offensive, most damaging, most disturbing? Was there any one thing that stuck out? So there are a few things I didn't know. We all saw January 6th, right? We all saw it happen. We all saw the video of what happened at the House. We listened to the, the impeachment. We listened to the January 6th committee. What we didn't have was exactly what was going on contemporaneously 
at the White House, all of the texts, all of the conversations, uh, who was calling whom and trying to do what. So I found that really interesting, that, that now we've got the full other side of the story. Through the course of the January 6th investigation, some of it came out, but now you understand that the, what was going on at, at Congress was a bunch of dupes, generally speaking, who had fallen for Donald Trump's BS. But what was going on at the White House was actually something very, very serious, number one. Number two, the question of, did he know? Did he believe that he won the election or not? This lays out in clear terms, he knew he had not won the election. Uh, so, so you're right, he has the right to lie about it, but it went from a lie, which is protected by the Constitution, into a criminal scheme, a criminal scheme to defraud the United States and to take away the right of people to vote. So that's the part that, that really stood out for me. Uh, Mike Pence took contempor contemporaneous notes. So that whole part of the equation is filled out, right? What was going on between Trump and Pence, and Pence was really pushing back. I mean, if this all gets out and if Donald, if Michael, Mike Pence could capitalize on it, I think his numbers might go up because he does come across as a guy who at least followed the law and what he believed. And by the way, he checked, right? It wasn't that he'd said to Donald Trump, there's definitely no chance this is going to happen. He checked with his lawyers and they said, there's definitely no chance that this is going to happen. His lawyers checked with Michael Ludig, who said, there's definitely no chance that that can happen. And he went back to Donald Trump. He didn't say, hey, boss, you're a lunatic and, and your idea is stupid. His response always was, I do not believe I possess the authority to do what you're asking me to do. And Donald Trump knew that. And the other thing, the final thing that really stands out to me, again, we knew this, Michael, but the degree to which Donald Trump had was going to put a guy in charge of the Justice Department, was going to appoint his mm -hmm. own attorney general because this one would do his bidding. And this guy shows up to talk to the acting attorney general and the deputy acting attorney general telling him that he's going to become the attorney general now because he'll do Trump's bidding. And the acting attorney general at the time said, I'm not actually going to resign to a subordinate. We're going to talk to Donald Trump now. And he warned Donald Trump that if you do this, you will see a mass exodus from the Department of Justice. So, you know, the, the people who did the right thing, they weren't always thinking the right thing and they weren't always on the right side of the issue. But the people who in the end did the right thing, who ended up saving our democracy uh, is something that comes through. Here. Yeah, I don't think any of them, you know, a lot of people give credit, you know, to um, like even Bill Barr. Right. They give him credit. Oh, you know, he that fucking slob sits there on TV, you know, giving him, you know, some sort of a platform to regain uh, his standing in polite society. And he says, well, I told Donald Trump that he lost the election. Stop it, Donald. And so on. Really? That's that's interesting because right, you're doing your job because almost for two and a half plus years you sat there and you placated the bloviated orange Mandarin Mussolini, all right? You're responsible for this shit. And until, as far as I'm concerned, look, there's, you, you know my feelings when it comes to Bill Barr, why the IG, the Inspector General, has not demanded that he appear before um, a hearing before Congress, why Jim Jordan with his weaponization committee hasn't put Bill Barr in front, why nobody, the Judiciary Committee or the state or the Senate or the House Permanent Select Committees on Intelligence haven't put Bill Barr up to ask him. Let me ask you just one specific question, you bloviated piece of shit. What did Donald Trump tell you when it came to an unconstitutional remand against a United States citizen because he wanted to yep. exercise 
his First Amendment constitutional right. So if you think that yeah. they're going to, that they can go as far as what they did to me, imagine just how far these scumbags were all thinking about how to overturn the election to retain power yeah. so that it wasn't just for this four years. It, it, was, for, intriguing it, to it me, was forever. But it was intriguing to me that most of these people, not all of them, there are six unindicted co-conspirators and there are many more people who were involved in the scheme. But it's interesting to me how for some of these people who, like I said, were not on the right side of history for much of this, somewhere there was a line. And I'm intrigued by that. Even with, with Bill Barr, I'm intrigued about, oh, this is where you decided the line was. But I am glad that it stopped at this because had some of these people not done that, Donald Trump might still be the president of the United States. And he knew that was not legal. He knew that was not correct. He knew he lost the election. He knew that there was nothing that he could do to change that. So toward the end, and it, the, the as you read the indictment, it gets more and more desperate toward the end, right? As you get toward January 6th, you realize uh, it's he's really like he's trying everything possible. And at that point, there's one part here where one of the unindicted co-conspirators calls up Mike Pence's uh, person and says, we just need one more thing. We just want one more thing. It's just a little violation of the Electoral College Act, but it'll <laughs> buy us 10 days to work this out. Just a little violation. They write this stuff. It's in text. A little violation of the Electoral College Act on behalf of the President of the United States. Michael, there's no ambiguity here. This was criminal behavior. And that's the thing from start to finish that, that Jack Smith points out here. This was criminal behavior. It's not the challenging of the election. It's not the believing you won. It's not even the spreading of lies. It's the criminal activity to defraud the United States, the conspiracy to impede an official proceeding, and the stealing of rights from people to vote and to have their vote counted. You know what I like about this? It's four counts. It's simple. This is not the Enron trial that I covered as a young reporter that they couldn't win because it was too complicated and it was about accounting. There's no counting in here. This is straightforward from people's mouths and texts and testimony about what actually happened between November 3rd and January 7th and how they almost got away with stealing our democracy. So one of, of course, the co-conspirators that's named is Rudy Colludi, drunken Giuliani, right? This it's hard to imagine that America's mayor has turned into the bumbling idiot asshole that he has become, right? But I call him an asshole truly because he is an asshole. But Giuliani, who's not obviously named in the indictment, but he is one of the co-conspirators, the unnamed co-conspirators, a spokesperson for this asshole goes on TV the other night and claims that Trump had a good faith basis for the actions that he took. Now, we all know that Giuliani went in and spoke to Jack Smith, to his team. I'm kind of wondering whether or not Rudy's playing a game here that he's provided them with more than enough information to hang Donald Trump, so to speak, because he's concerned that what Donald and he and Barr and Kushner and so many others did to me, that he realizes that Donald will throw him under the bus in a split second as well. And that he's concerned about spending the rest of his natural life behind bars. Well, there's a lot of references to the person we know to be Rudy Giuliani in this indictment. And th their entire, def well, there, meaning 
Donald Trump's entire defense, plus whomever else gets uh, indicted as a result of this, the defense is going to be that this was a good faith effort, right? Because if this was a good faith effort in which you believe you had won the election in these various states, that changes everything, correct? Right? At that point, you were doing what you thought was right. Sort of. Right? A number of lawyers have told me, sort of. When Martin Luther King broke laws to protest uh, civil rights laws, he knew he was breaking the law. He knew he would be arrested. He knew he would go to jail, and he went to jail many times. Uh, Nelson Mandela, Gandhi, they all did the same thing. Donald Trump, regardless of whether he thought he had won the election, this thing morphed into a criminal enterprise, at which point you have to say, I am doing something to deliberately break the law here because I believe the law is unjust and that's what's going on. But that's not the case that Donald Trump and co-conspirator number one through six were actually doing. They were just coming up with a scheme to retain power. Retaining power is not a civil rights act. Retaining power is not a, uh, you know, some form of, un, you know, fighting against unjust government. Losing an election is losing an election. This is a democracy. Losing is part of winning an election. It's part of the whole process. So I don't know how plausible whatever Rudy Giuliani's argument uh, that is going to be is going to be because because it's got his texts in here. It's got a lot of his texts. It's got a lot of witnesses who talk about what he said I mean, he's going to have a hard time. If he went into the, I mean, he went in and talked to Jack Smith's people. I don't know what he said, because if he said things that are contrary to what's in this thing, then he may have perjured himself. Uh, and if he didn't say things, if he said things that corroborate what's in here, and it doesn't say that he did, by the way, it doesn't tell you. Doesn't that say either. Co- co- right. Doesn't say either way. If he corroborated it, then this case is that much stronger, because Rudy Giuliani was probably the closest person to Donald Trump during this process. He was the one who seemed to be encouraging it. He seemed to be there the most. Wasn't the mastermind of the operation, for obvious reasons. There were other people who were the legal minds behind it. But Rudy Giuliani was the face of the operation. He's the one who started having those hearings in Georgia and Pennsylvania, and he went to the Four Seasons, uh, what he thought the Four Seasons Hotel was. Yeah, the Four Seasons landscaping parking lot. So, so. He's going to be central to this thing one way or another. And I've got to imagine that Rudy Giuliani is thinking actively about what he's already said to the special counsel and what he may say if he's subpoenaed as a witness and what he may say if he's indicted uh, as a co-conspirator. So Rudy Giuliani is the one to watch here. It's going to be very interesting to see what America's mayor ends up actually doing. So Ali, let me ask you this then. How does this indictment differ from the criminal referral put together by the January 6th committee, if at all? Uh, I've spoken to a lot of the January 6th committee people about what they wanted to see versus what they're getting. And some of them seem unsatisfied. They feel that their referrals were uh, meatier and heartier. But the one thing that they acknowledge and the one thing that Jack Smith said in his press conference is that he wants a speedy trial. So he wants a trial that is clean. Right. He wants to be able to put forth arguments that are easy to make, easy to prosecute, uh, easy for a jury to understand and get done relatively quickly. The Mar-a-Lago case is actually, while some might say it's more cut and dried because Donald Trump had documents that he wasn't supposed to have and he knew he had those documents. It's it's a it's a little like an accounting trial. It's a lot of stuff. You have to know a lot of stuff. The Manhattan grand jury, uh, the Manhattan uh, hush money payment uh, stuff that, that you know a lot about. You, you do have to explain a, a lot of stuff. and It's all valid stuff, but you have to explain it. Here, this is not a complicated case at all. This is literally everybody's text messages to everybody else. They've got memos. They've got all of it. 
the 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 co-defendant the, the uninspired co-conspirators and Donald Trump have they could have written this themselves. There's there's just nothing in here that's not backed up by a text, a message, a phone call, or a witness's testimony. So I think the goal here was the trial you can win, not the trial you can prosecute. And I think that's why this is probably not as much stuff as the January 6th committee would have liked. I will say that count number four, the uh, the, the uh, oppress, threaten, and intimidate one or more persons in the free exercise and enjoyment of a right and privilege secured to them by constitution and laws of the United States, that is the right to vote and to have one's vote counted. That is in violation of Title 18 United States Code Section 241. That's the one that I think will satisfy those 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 January 6th uh, investigators, because that's the one that says you tried to steal an election. Everything else is a, a technical violation of something that is Im really, really important, stopping an official proceeding and the counting of the votes and the function of government. But it is it feels like an abstraction to the average person. Taking away your right to vote or your right to have your vote counted is not an abstraction if you are a citizen of the United States and you've read the history of this country. So. I think he's uh, he may have split the baby pretty well on this one versus what the January 6th committee would have liked. Who in your mind should be tried next to Donald? Now, my guess thus far is that Rudy Colludi is definitely either he turns states. And I think that's the brilliance of Jack Smith. I mean, you have, look, Rudy Giuliani, John Eastman, Sidney Kraken Powell, Jeff Clark. I mean, there's so many, there's so many here. Um, you know, yeah. there's six that are named in this indictment. And I'm sure Jack Smith could easily find more, which they, more, which they sure, ultimately yeah. might. The question yes. in my mind is, the reason that, they're, that they haven't been indicted so far is probably because they're all cooperating witnesses. I really do this believe that all of these folks are cooperating witnesses. That's the interesting point here, right? That, that um, this indictment is so clear that if you're reading it, you're sitting here thinking to yourself, why aren't these other people uh, indicted? Right. It's really, really clear that they were all part and parcel of this thing. So I think you may be onto something, first of all, that they may be cooperating or if they're not, Jack Smith decided, let me drop this and give them all the weekend to think about it, to to read this mm -hmm. thing thoroughly and say they have a lot of stuff on me. So maybe I should go and, and do something. I will say of the six, five of them are lawyers. And maybe I'm wrong about this. You, you know this having been a lawyer. I have. Uh, I have less energy to care about lawyers who helped him in the in the uh, conspiracy than I do about the one who is a government official. There was a government official, a very, very senior government official who is a co-conspirator, an unindicted co-conspirator here. And to me, that is such a breach of of what you, you the, the oath to the Constitution that you swear to uphold. And I'm not making excuses for lawyers who do bad things. I am saying that to me, that's different that you, you actually tried to do something um, to undermine the, the oath that you've taken to the U.S. government. So I think that's a, a, a very big deal. Um, but I, I, I'm with you. I think this is a document that's meant to make people think very clearly about whether they should or they shouldn't. Now, Eastman, his attorneys have said that they're going to be sending a memo, maybe they've done it already, about why he shouldn't be charged. Feels like a little late in the game for them to have done that. They might have had that conversation earlier, but whatever. They're going to send that memo. Rudy Giuliani, as you mentioned, his spokesperson continues to 
to profess his innocence in the whole thing. What I haven't heard is a detailed rebuttal of all the things they say that co-conspirator number one actually did in here. So, you know, more to come. It's going to be very interesting to hear all of these six uh, unindicted co-conspirators, whether they're going to go full throttle uh, nonsense uh, about how this is all a government, whatever, the you know, a, a witch hunt and it's the weaponization of the government, the yeah. Biden crime family, yeah. or whether they're going to come back. Yeah. With a, because I don't think Jack Smith cares about the weaponization of government and the Biden crime family. I think he cares about his case, as he should, and it's not going to influence him. So if you want to tell Jack Smith not to indict you, I think you have to go with the goods. The goods had better be real evidence that you're wrong, Jack Smith. All of this research you've done is incorrect about me, and I'll see you in court, or let's talk. Yeah, and look, as you said, you know, this is, you know, like the main event, right, so far. Uh, I mean, we're at three indictments, soon to be two more, total of five. Yep. It is head-scratching that... The number of GOP members like Marjorie Toilet Green that right the second that this piece of shit has a camera in front, all of a sudden it's, you know, kissing Donald's ass for what? You're talking about yep. you're talking about overturning something that I said to the House Oversight Committee how many years ago now? Four years ago, 2019, February, when I said my biggest fear is that if Donald Trump loses the election in 2020, that there will never be a peaceful transfer of power. Well, you know what this indictment just did? It validated the statement that I made in 2019. And I said it because yeah. I know the beast. I know Frankenstein. And that's why I'm working so hard, so hard to put Frankenstein's monster back in the cage. But the thing I have with with this is with the, with the five. I believe that each and every one of the three indictments so far is easily provable. I truly believe that Alvin Bragg's case is the easiest of them all to prove. I, I do. I think the documentation is there. It's not a lot to explain. Read the document for yourself. Oh, by the way, in case you're not sure whether or not the document is corroborated by testimony, here's one, two, three, four individuals that corroborated right. exactly what was done and for the purpose. And again, it may not be the sexiest of the three or the potential five. It is not. But I think personally, it's the easiest one to prove of them all. It's just something that is proven every single day by the DA's office with convictions. Yep. But the thing yep. that I was a little bit concerned about, I start to hear again from members of Congress, from pundits, from talking heads on the various different stations, that... Each and every one of these trials should be live, no different than the hearing. Each and every one should be live for the American people and the world to be yeah. able to watch. Now, yeah. I, I agree with that. Well, I, I'm kind of mixed on it. I'm in the gray area on that. And the reason... Why is that? Well, it's a well, very good question, Mr. Ali. So I'm in the gray on it because... There are so many unhinged Trump supporters that when I was testifying as an example before the House Oversight Committee, like 100 million people watched that, 
the death threats that come, the the animus, the attacks on social media. You know, I've pledged that I intend to cooperate, but I don't want to cooperate to the extent that I put myself in harm's way and and my family in harm's like way. You and I have talked about this a lot, right? Like you and I are, are, are fine. We sign up for what we do and, and we both get threats and we get, both get ugly stuff. But when they start with your family, it changes the equation. Doesn't matter how committed you are to a cause, you just don't, your, your family didn't sign up for that. And it's not fair to them. I will say the one thing about this indictment that, and this is separate from the conversation about whether it should be live, is that I like the fact that Jack Smith leaned into when co-conspirator number one, Rudy Giuliani spoke about named those two people that he showed in a video at the State Farm Arena in, in Georgia and claimed that they were heroin or cocaine addicts or whatever the case is, they got death threats. When they called the Philadelphia city commissioner uh, names after he had said- Yeah, that you're, talking about, you're talking about Ruby Freeman and Shea Moss. That's correct. That's correct. And 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 the, the Philadelphia commissioner got death threats. Like he, he names all the people who got death threats as a result of Donald Trump and his co-conspirators going after them. So you're right. That is a real thing. And by the way, one of the things in this thing that is really interesting is he's got texts between uh, and, and, and contemporaneous conversations, uh, notes of conversations between people who say, if you do this, meaning if you if you go forward with this uh, illegal scheme, there will be riots in the streets of America. And, and one of the co-conspirators says, that's why we have the Insurrection Act. Uh, others say, well, you know what? Sometimes there has to be violence to to get to that means. So there was no discussion. There was real discussion about the fact that not only is this a criminal enterprise, but that it may actually cause and lead to violence and death threats and things like that. And it does seem that the defendant, who isn't named in the whole thing, but the defendant we know, Donald Trump, and his co-conspirators were okay with that, Michael. They were okay with the idea that, and, and you and I have discussed this, it's okay that I, I will say what I have to say and let the people do the bidding. How many times on January 6th did Donald Trump, it's it's, it's outlined in here, say they, these people are angry. These people are angry that their government, their, their election was stolen. This is what happens when you steal an election. These people are angry. That's how he talks, right? He He's like, I didn't do anything. I'm not threatening you, Michael Cohen. I'm just telling you you're disloyal or you're this or you're something else. Let the people decide how to handle it. Right. It's mob mentality. Well, it sure is. But what he's doing is he's goading them the same way that he goaded them within which to go to the Capitol. And that's not me saying it. That's that's Stuart Rhodes. That's Stuart Rhodes who's saying it, who's now got an 18-year sentence for doing what he knows Donald Trump was telling him to do. All right. So there's a lot of unhinged people out there. And which kind of brings me to, you know, to my next question for you, because despite everything that's happening with Trump right now, and this is more than what anybody, anybody has ever handled in the history of this country with the, you know, with the indictments and the whole nine yards, a newly released Maris poll shows an extremely tight race between Trump and Biden. I mean, do you see this indictment making a dent with Trump standing with his base? Or do you think that it'll only serve to, you know, to burnish his standing even further? You know, I wish I could ever give an answer to this that makes sense because I'm A, I'm 100% wrong whenever I answer this. (laughs) And and B, I wonder how much of this has to do with 
um, Democrats having to do more on their side, right? Because if, as I evaluate it, look at the economy right now. Um, growth is above two and a half percent. Unemployment remains at historic lows. Wages are going up. Inflation seems to be under control. The stock market is doing well. Uh, consumer confidence is good. Uh, there's manufacturing jobs all over the country. Uh, things look good. What do you want? Uh, Joe Biden is, has led NATO to take on America's greatest adversary and in, the, in so doing has sort of signaled to China, hey, don't mess around because we've isolated Russia on the world stage. We might do the same to you. Donald Trump almost tried to undo NATO. What do you want? So the point is that the, the Biden administration is actually doing things that Americans who are not hyper politicized should enjoy. And yet nothing seems to move Joe Biden's uh, popularity levels. And things that move Donald Trump's popularity levels are when he does worse things, when he threatens, when he talks about I am your retribution, when he talks about the deep state, when he gives these dark speeches he gives uh, every Saturday night. It seems to work for him. So the world is an upside down pineapple cake. I don't know what's supposed to work. In theory, a 45 page indictment against you, the third federal indictment against you and, and a couple more to come should be damaging to your your reputation or your popularity. But that doesn't work. And somehow it's become the Biden crime family. Uh, so I, I don't know. This is a political question to which I have no answer. This, if you read this thing and you come away with the idea that I should really stick with Donald Trump, I really got to have this guy's back. I don't know what to tell you. I don't know how we're all citizens of the same country, but I am worried, Michael, because these are my fellow citizens. They are people who vote. They have the vote. I believe they should have the vote. I believe that, that we should share this country with people who don't share our views. But to keep on supporting Donald Trump when evidence comes out on a weekly basis about how anti-democratic he is, anti-small d democratic, it boggles my mind. So I don't I don't know that this will hurt him. I suspect it may be a successful case. He may be convicted. Donald Trump may even see the inside of a jail cell. I don't know that it hurts him. Yeah, I don't, I don't know either. But, <laughs> but, you know, I want to go back to that whole concept for a quick second on the transparency, because, first of all, I think it it's the right thing for the American people to be able to see for themselves. Americans don't like to read. Me personally, I love to read. Right. I really when I was in Otisville, I read 97 books, you know, you while, telling me, yeah, while I was there. I can I can name them. I can you know, I can talk about them. I love to read as a kid and I like to read. I love to read now. I just don't really find that I have the same time. I certainly had a lot of time right. in Otisville. And so I did what my passion was. Americans don't really like to read. They like to watch TV. They like to get their snippets from wherever it is that they get their snippets from. So here, they will be able to see for themselves. They will be able to hear for themselves in real time or, you know, through clips, the information that they want to glean. And I believe yes. that the transparency that Americans are entitled to especially when you're talking about situations like this, is extremely important. However, transparency is not an isolated thing. It needs to be global. And when I say it needs to be global, that doesn't mean that, oh yeah, just by having these hearings open, televised, and so, that that means that we are a transparent government. You know, Ali, right. something that you and I have spoken about uh, both on camera and off. I still have a FOIA request in. Two years now. Two years since filing. One year ago, we're going now on the 13th month. The courts 
stated to government, to the FBI, you must turn over a minimum, or I should say you need to process a minimum of 500 documents a month. Now, first, if you may recall... Which is a a real small proportion of what you even want and need. Well, okay, so initially, when we put out the request under FOIA, they said that there were no documents that match your FOIA request. Well, I had several documents... And so I turned them over then to Mark Zaid, who's an attorney who does this uh, very well for a living. He files an action. FBI comes back and says, oh, shit. Sorry, we fucked up. You're right. We're wrong. There's 450,000 plus documents. So they go from zero to 450,000. 450,000. Not four, five, 450,000. Okay. Then we're expecting they're going to start to turn over documents. Well, of course, they don't. They don't. So go to court. The court turns around and says, well, listen, on an expedited basis, Cohen's entitled to these documents. Okay, great. We're going on 13 months. Every month I get the same document, which turns around and says, well, there are 40 additional agencies that we need to share these documents with before which we'll be able to um, you know, redact them and send to you wow. whatever the unredacted portions of those documents are. Right now, they've, they've gone through 29. There are 11 left. Very soon, I'm going to wow. go down to, uh, to D.C., and I'm going to make a whole issue. We're going to have a press conference, myself, Mark Zaid, Brian Karam, uh, and so on. This is bullshit. So if you want transparency, because any one of those documents will show just how corrupt Trump Bill Barr, Kushner, Bannon, the whole group of them will show just how corrupt that they were. And I'm going to use a word that Donald stole from me, weaponization. It will show how Donald Trump weaponized the United States Department of Justice. And every time that he uses that phrase to throw Biden, right, to to give, you know, a, a shtick to Biden on it, Just know, my faithful listeners, this is nothing shy of deflection, deflection, deflection. He knows exactly what he did, and he thinks everyone is as corrupt as he is, which we know is not true. Deflection works. Deflection works. That's the part that devastates me, right? Because deflection shouldn't work if you're surrounded by critical thinkers, right? If you have the ability to be a critical thinker, say, Donald Trump, there seems to be a lot of evidence against you. Can we just go through this before we listen to your nonsense about weaponization? No, every I mean, you know where I why I, I, I'm pessimistic because of all of the responses from Congress after the dropping of this thing. They were all like Marjorie Taylor Greene stuff. It's all about Biden and how Trump's going to be proved innocent. And have the trial. Listen to the case. Read the evidence. Read the indictment. Listen to the indictment. Do something other than a knee jerk reaction that doesn't seem to make sense. But that's where we are, Michael. How about that's where we are. We're, how about we're, Ali? We're, we're, somebody turns around and says to Marjorie Toilet. All right, listen. I know all about the Biden crime family and the alleged $154 million that somehow that Hunter took for Joe and this and that. Listen, if that's true, if that's true, they will be indicted for it, charged, prosecuted, and potentially convicted. But today we're talking about your Fuhrer, Donald Trump's third indictment, based upon these four counts. How about just stick to the fucking facts? 
right? Just stick to this, right? We, we, I, I'm totally, we have enough capacity to deal with Hunter Biden and whatever he may have done. And remember that, that by the way, the one prosecutor, uh, the federal prosecutor that, that Biden, that Joe Biden did not call, recall when he became president was the one who was investigating Hunter Biden. So that feels like the opposite of the politicization of the trial, but whatever, let's go, let's go. We can investigate all of this at the same time. We can eat and chew gum. And there are always more than two investigations going on in America at the same time. That one has nothing to do with this one. Nothing. Right. Hunter Biden has nothing to do with the 45 pages and 130 paragraphs <laughs> in this and the four counts in this thing. Right. That's just all there is to it. So anybody who wants to bring that up, my response would be, hold on, I didn't ask you about Hunter Biden. I didn't ask you about any of this stuff. I asked you about Donald Trump and his six uh, un uh, unindicted co-conspirators. Co That's all I want to respond yeah, they to. They use it as like an equalizer. Oh, well, why are you going after Donald Trump? You know, why don't you go after Hunter Biden? Well, first of all, assuming that Hunter Biden did something, he's not the president of the United States, and that's a new investigation. This is one that's going back four years yeah. now. So, you know, three years. So let's, um, you know, let's just do things in order. We don't have to jump ahead to your whim, simply because you think that you're screaming loudest. And speaking about a yeah. fucking screamer, I mean, Kevin yeah. McCarthy, think about it. You think that Kevin McCarthy and his goon squad will continue to carry Trump's jockstrap, uh, I mean, as this case develops, and more evidence than ultimately comes out about what, you know, what happened and what he actually tried to do? Or... Have they painted themselves into a corner with all of this nonsense and bullshit about the weaponization of the DOJ and the FBI? Yeah, I think they have. I, I think there's no way out now. I, Kevin McCarthy was right about Donald Trump for about, I don't know, how long was it? A few hours on January 6th? Right. We said the right thing, and then and then and that's it. I don't know how you get back to that now because the answer to everything, the answer to, hey, Michael, what's the weather in New York today? Is the weaponization of government? Uh, hey, Michael, um, you know, uh, when are you when are you coming to the office? Uh, it's it's the Biden crime family, right? Like at some point, the answer to all questions are these two things, and no one is willing. There, there are I, I'm not no one. There are a handful of members of Congress and a couple or two or three people who are running for the, the GOP presidential nomination who have said the right thing. Will Hurd came out with a very mm -hmm. strong uh, statement. A number of the other candidates did as well. Uh, in fact, I can't remember who said it. One of them said, you know, I wasn't sure, sure about the other ones. This one seems quite serious. Even Mike Pence, who also, you know, is usually on the right side of history for a few minutes every day, um, has come out and said, we, we shouldn't be electing somebody who, uh, who has done this to the country. But nobody can say it with gusto. Nobody can own it. No one can stay with that view for, you know, 72 straight hours and say, Donald Trump is a menace to democracy. He's really dangerous. It doesn't really matter about Joe Biden or your local criminal, right? Everybody who's been pulled over by a cop always says, why aren't you catching murderers? When the cop is like, because I'm, I'm on the traffic beat and you <laughs> ran a red light. Right? That's, this is what we have to do. It's like, this is the beat right now. This is what they're trying to do. Just read it on its merits. Study it on its merits, which is what a jury will do. Right? A jury will look at this case on its merits. They will evaluate the testimony on, on its merits and come to a conclusion. This is still a jury of your peers. And by the way, as much as you may hate Donald Trump, he's still entitled to a trial, or in this case, three trials, or maybe five trials. He'll get his trials. And, and when, when uh, Jack Smith says, I want a speedy trial, that is what the Constitution guarantees you. Only knuckleheads don't want a speedy trial. Right, Donald Trump's the one who said, "I don't want, I don't want a speedy trial. I don't want, I don't want any trial before January of, uh, before 2025." Guess what? Because, like a whole bunch of people in the world, 
going to be much easier to, to, to get away with this if you're president again. You've made the point to me. You can't get Donald Trump when he's president. You then can't get him when he's not president because he's running for president. And if he becomes president again, you won't be able to get him that time either. So Donald Trump is running a Donald Trump protection racket in which he's offering a lot of people uh, an umbrella of protection, including those two poor souls who got taken in with him in, in the Mar-a-Lago case. And maybe the six co-conspirators here, maybe right. his lesson to everybody is, Guys, put everything into this, and I will save you. I will pardon you. Remember, we still have the Georgia case. Right, but you know who's you not protected? Right, but you know who's not yeah. protected? Everybody around him. And like on your show, Ali, when I was on, I turned around and I said, if I was Walt Nada, I would put on my running shoes. I know that he was a former military run. guy. And run. Yeah, run, run Walt. Run. I mean, I almost feel like, like yeah. uh, you know, in Forrest Gump. Run, Walt. Run. Yeah. Because... Trust me when I tell you, at the end of the day, Donald is not helping Walt Nada. He may say right now because he saw what's happened to him when he threw me under the bus, right? Right. Truth be told, right. as I have written about in my book, Revenge, I never committed tax evasion. At most, it was an yep. omission. My CPA, this guy Jeff Getzel, fucked up. Every single dollar right. was in Capital One Bank, and every single statement was given to him. His job. For the money I paid him, which was a lot, was to reconcile and do my taxes. And then I would give him my account number and boom, off it went. I never not filed taxes. I've never asked for an extension. I've never, I've never been audited, right? And all of a sudden, a first-time tax offender, why? Because of the weaponization yep. of the DOJ by a corrupt president. And you have warned my viewers of this, that... That's what it looks like. It doesn't look like cops going to the, through the streets and arresting random people. It's that. It is the targeting targeting of people who are dissidents, opponents, right. critics, journalists, uh, opposition uh, members, people running for office. That's what it's going to look like. So, Ali, a federal judge threw out Trump's appeal to halt the Fulton County election probe, which is now paving the way for yet another indictment. And the word is that Trump will likely be fingerprinted and given a mugshot there too. Now that picture will immediately become important for both sides as they attempt to control the narrative, criminal mm -hmm. or victim of a witch hunt. So who do you think will ultimately prevail? And why in Trump's appeal? Um, you know, why is this an appeal to his base and the larger public? I still, again, to me, it's all head scratching. It is head scratching. And when you read the details in this indictment, and you know, you know, Georgia is a part of it, there are seven states that are spoken about in this indictment. Obviously, Georgia is going to be focused on Georgia, except all of this talk about uh, Georgia's fairly broad uh, racketeering uh, laws, which actually will allow them to make references to behavior that was similar in other states. But the Georgia stuff is very, very, very compelling because it's it is the clearest example of the of the defendant, Donald Trump, and his uninspired, co uh, uninspired, I keep calling him yeah, uninspired, right. they're actually unindicted co-conspirators, knowing that that what they were saying was false. Every time they said something about what happened in Georgia at the State Farm Arena or with the dead people voting or the people who were voting twice or the people who lived somewhere else, every single thing was refuted specifically by people who were in a position to know, including the Secretary of State and election officials, including Mark Meadows, who was supervising the, the vote counting at one point and texted Donald Trump to say, these guys are on it, man. They're doing the job. If there's any fraud, they're going to find it. That the Georgia case is yet an easier and smaller version of this, which will be very, very easy to to make the case. But to your point, why people 
continue to look at these cases and think that they can they can beat them. I guess that's the justice system in America. He's entitled to his day in court. He's going to try, but these cases are tough. The only danger here, Michael, as you know, is when you try somebody for substantially similar things in federal and state court, you got to be careful about your witnesses, right? If, if one of them recalls that something was a Tuesday and one of them recalls it was a Wednesday, defense on both sides then starts to attack the credibility of that witness. So I don't know that Fonnie Willis or Jack Smith are in love with the idea that there may be overlapping witnesses in both of these cases, but they are both solid cases. Hey, did you hear, by the way, that, I mean, there's like all these murmurs going around, because, you know, look, your ear, like everybody, is to the ground, like mine, right? That yeah. with this indictment and the um, massive evidence, right, that Trump would potentially try to settle the case to avoid prison time. Because I've heard, I've heard from people a whole slew of, of numerous versions of what a settlement would look like, right? That he would plead guilty and effectively maybe bar him from running for the presidency for the rest of his life, but he won't do jail time and that they would drop it. Have you heard any sort of discussion about a potential settlement? Um, and if so, do you think that Fonnie Willis or Jack Smith or Alvin Bragg or any of the you know, prosecutors in this case should go for it? Or do you think that they should push for the full prosecution? I, I got to say, I mean, I have been covered ever since I was a young reporter. I, 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 my only one wish in life is that I had studied to be a lawyer because the, the most interesting things I cover tend to be legal things. And I never was. And as a, as a business journalist, um, you know, a lot of the things I covered in the early days of my career were were uh, were, were legal cases. Man, this one's easy to read. This one is straightforward. As you said, so is the Manhattan one. Uh, so will uh, Fonnie Willis is probably be. She's spending a lot of time on it. Um, so was that Mar-a-Lago indictment. I mean, these are reading indictments. They're they're really easy to get through and the points are really clear. I, I have to say, I every single prosecutor who I have on my show, and I have a lot of them say that prosecutors don't bring high profile cases like this, that they're not fairly confident that they can win. So I don't know. I think I think the uh, the, the proffer from Donald Trump is going to have to be pretty good uh, if he wants to settle, uh, because I think they've got a really solid case on a lot of counts. But, you know, Anything's possible. If you want to save America from the torture of, of this trial and making a martyr out of Donald Trump, there's something to be said for not making a martyr out of someone. And if Donald Trump is offering to not be a martyr, um, meaning he really doesn't run again, I don't know. And I don't even know how constitutional that is, if you can make that kind of a deal. But uh, at the moment, I'm not hearing that it's 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 a substantial matter. But again, they all just got this thing and they're all spending some time reading it. And yeah. Donald Trump, I think he's still got a few lawyers left. Maybe they're telling him something that, that, that we don't know. Yeah, well, trust me, the lawyers that he has, whatever they're telling him, it's worth shit, right? He shouldn't pay them a dollar. Ali, look, the hour goes by very, very quick, and I Always thank does. you. One, just one last thing. What role do you think that Mark Meadows will play in the upcoming trial? I mean, his name is getting thrown around like uh, I definitely think he falls into the category of someone who's co cooperating with this. The, the, the references to Meadows in here are there are no derogatory references to him at all in this 45 pages. The only thing that they, they've got him saying is when he's telling Trump to do something he should be doing. This reads like Mark Meadows is not uh, a target or or uh, or someone they're trying to go for this. If you're Mark Meadows. Mike Pence and Mark Meadows come out of this this document looking pretty By good. By the way, right you know now, who's, so I would, you, you know, Ali, you know who's conspicuously missing from this forty five page document too? Who's that? Jared Kushner. 
the secretary of Absolutely. everything. And that, again, yes. somehow yes. or another. Very interesting. And I don't care what Very anybody says. Jared Kushner, yeah. in my mind, is a cooperating witness from day number one. And he has been the all along. Of some of these. This is an interesting, maybe I'll do this on my TV show. The, the absence of some people is very telling here. Yes. Yes. Well, Ali, thank you for your time. Thank you for your insight. Thank you for your friendship. And thank you for helping to continue to promote democracy in America. Uh, you're the best. Uh, look forward to coming back onto your show. And thank you. And thank you. And now for today's mea culpa. The irony of this third indictment against Donald Trump is while he's on trial for his life, he will get to indulge in his greatest joy, relitigating past grievances, mainly the 2020 election. It's also unique in part because it addresses events that Americans saw unfold in real time. This wasn't the FBI suddenly showing up at Mar-a-Lardo and people scrambling to figure out what happened. It was a path toward accountability for actions in which Trump was very obviously involved. But this is where the trial gets inherently political. What happened that day veers wildly depending on your political point of view. If you are a normal, rational person, Trump committed a crime and must be punished accordingly. If you are a fucking MAGA lunatic, then this is all a witch trial, a kangaroo court cooked up to destroy their dear leader. Trump will now face three separate trials and likely a fourth and fifth, all of them in the midst of the presidential primary season. He is on trial for his life and he is running for president as a means to save his life. In order to do so, he will tiptoe across a razor wire, injecting more lies and dangerous propaganda into the Molotov cocktail of MAGA politics. America now faces the prospect of an ex-president repeatedly going on trial in an election year in which he is the Republican frontrunner and is promising a new White House term of retribution. He is responding with the same kind of extreme rhetoric that injected fury into the political base and erupted into violence after the last election. The fuse has been lit, folks, and something will explode. The question is, will it be Donald Trump first? Or will his MAGA base kick off the civil war that so many have promised? So these are dark days, my friends, and let's hope what emerges at the end of the tunnel isn't an oncoming train. And as always, thanks for listening. Maya Culpa is brought to you by Audio Up, Midas Touch, and LSJ Media. Written by Jimmy Jelinek. Our editor and managing producer is Lisa Orkin. Our executive producers are Jared Gustad, Jimmy Jelinek, and myself, Michael Cohen, along with Phil Alberstadt. It may be a new day politically, but nowadays the landscape is more confusing than ever. Donald Trump may have lost the battle for the presidency, but in many ways, Trumpism is still winning the war on the state and local level. Maya Culpa is here to help guide you through the wilderness and keep you informed. And let's face it, we all want Trump, Rudy, and the rest of these seditious traitors to see justice. And folks, I promise you, it's coming. So stay tuned as I guide you through the twists and turns of the criminal process that will ultimately see them behind bars. Maya Culpa, nothing but the truth. This is my mayor.